Today we're going to be in John 21, uh, starting in verse number 15. But in review, um, last week we traveled to the Sea of Galilee where the disciples had, spent, uh, had been sent by Jesus. Uh, we witnessed a group of the disciples that had gone back to fishing with nothing to show for their efforts after an entire night's work except for exhaustion. Uh, but the Lord appeared to these disciples as they were returning and taught them by way of several examples how they could learn from their empty nets and develop greater trust in Him in our message that was titled, The Fuel of Failure. This morning, we will pick back up with this group of disciples as they're sitting around a campfire on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The fire and the meal were a loving example of the Lord's provision for His friends after their long night of effort. As their interaction continues, we will see our Lord focus His attention onto one disciple in particular as He prepares this man for the great work of God that is in His future in our message, which is called Restoring the Broken. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, you know that... Uh, I have prayed over this message, Lord, and I've asked you to speak to me. And as I begged you this week, Lord, you did. And uh, I'm, so, I'm so thankful. Uh, Lord, you know that my desire, God, today is not to be heard. It's not be wisdom that is from my mind. But, Lord, pray that it be only what is shared, uh, which is the wisdom of God. And, Lord, through your spirit that you'll speak to us. My desire is to disappear, Lord. I pray that you remove the human element from this message. Lord, and please, God, help me just, let's say it, the Lord. I want to represent you, and I want to do my very best, and God help me to disappear. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, in preparation, do you remember uh, whose idea it was to go fishing? Who remembers whose idea it was? Peter, right? So it was Peter's idea to go fishing. So Peter had influence and leadership, and we see this as something that God had given him, so which gave him a greater responsibility than the other disciples. I'm going to go back, and we're going to look at a little bit of, of Peter himself. We're going to look at what Peter's heard from the Lord Jesus Christ. In, verse, in Luke 12, verses 37 through 43, Jesus says this to the disciples, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Okay. Now remember what, when Jesus returned, guess what he was doing? Was he watching or was he fishing? They were fishing, right? They were fishing. Verily I say unto you that ye shall, he said, he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. So we witnessed that in John where he actually sat down with them and served them. But they were not actually watching. And it says, and if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them, so blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. And ye therefore, he says, be therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. So he's saying, look, instead of getting complacent, remember, always be watching because you don't know when it is I'm going to show up. And what we found was when they were on the Sea of Galilee and they chose to go fishing, that they were not actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. Notice who speaks up here. Peter was never one to sit back and be quiet. Verse 41, then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? This is just for us, this is for everybody. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. He says, I just need faithful people. This is for everyone. Now, if we jump down to verse number 48, look what Jesus says a little bit further. He says, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. 
and to whom men have, much, have committed much, of him they will ask the more. So he says, look, there's a higher accountability for those that I have blessed with certain abilities. He's saying, I expect this of you, but understand at the same time, we see God's mercy throughout this whole passage. We saw failure, 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 and yet we saw the fuel of failure was the fact that Jesus was restoring them in their brokenness. Now, let's look at Peter's previous actions, okay? We get a little bit of understanding of who Peter is. Now, prior, before the denial, this is what Peter said as he was speaking with the Lord. In Matthew 26, 33 through 35, Peter answered and said to him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. He says, look, I make a vow above all other men, I will stand devoted to you, Lord. That's what my vow is. Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cockcrow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said to him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I, ne will I not deny thee. Likewise said also the, di also the disciples. So Peter professes this unloving, or this, this di uh, undying devotion uh, of love to the Lord. Now, we know from John 18 what happened. He made that 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 that, uh, that uh, declare, uh, declaration. But bottom line is, when as soon as the pressure or the rubber hit the road, what happened? Three different times he denies him. Right. So we know Peter has carrying this failure, and we understand how many times did he deny the Lord? Three times. Right. So let's store that information. What we understand about Peter's background as we jump into the scripture. Okay. John 21 verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to, to, saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, notice he does not call him Peter. He says, son of jo Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Now, is he referencing the fish that are lying on the ground beside them, or is he referencing the disciples? We're not sure. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Now, we're going to take just this first verse, and we're going to kind of take apart and look at there's some significant things that are taking place. The first thing we notice is the name that the Lord uses to address Peter. Notice he does not call him Peter. Why is this significant? Okay. Now, this is where, Jesus, this is where Peter received his name back in Matthew 16, 15, earlier in the ministry. Matthew 16, 15, he says, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? He's asking the disciples as they're sitting at the base of the mountain. And Simon answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, blessed art thou Simon Barjona. Bar means son of. So he says, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And verse 18, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the name Peter, it actually means rock or it means stone. He says, you're a foundational rock that I will build the church upon. And we know in the book of Acts that Peter actually becomes the leader of the church. So is it possible that here this choice to call him by this name is in reference to the fact that before when he was a fisher of fish, he was Simon Barjona, right? And then when he was a fisher of men, he was to be called Peter. And notice, through this entire exchange, he will not call him Peter. He will call him Simon. It's kind of like this. Is it a wake-up call? It's kind of like when your parents, when you're little, right? Whoever remembers being outside playing, right? And you hear your entire name. <laughs> David Anthony Goodson. Oh, man. So that's all she needed to do is use, just use all three names. And I knew I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. Oh, that, oh, I was supposed to be home two hours ago. Oh, right? 
So we've all been there. So what happens? Is it possible that the Lord's using this name to help him go, uh, and reflect a little bit? The second thing we notice is the question that he asks him. Lovest thou me more than these? Okay, now there's two options here. Like I said, there's two options. Is he perhaps talking about the disciples, right? Because the disciples all made vows to him. But he said, my vow is, is greater than any man, right? So is he potentially looking at that? Remember back in Matthew 26, 33, it says, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Is he comparing him to these other disciples and say, look, do you still love me more than them? Or perhaps is it the fish? Now remember, he had Peter drake that net, and he had Peter drag the net with 153 fish up beside the fire. Now, they didn't eat the fish. He fed them fish that he already had prepared. We saw that provision last week. But is it possible that he's pointing to that net and he's saying, do you love me more than these? The love that you professed to me, it was about being a fisher of men. It was about standing up for me. But yet you've gone back to, to fishing for fish. Peter, is the old life what you want? Or is it the life that I've called you to? Which one are you clinging to? And then thirdly, we see this. The third thing we noticed is Peter's response. Now, the Lord uses a Greek word, which is agapas, when he asks him, he says, do you love me? That agapas is a, is a God love. It's a, it's a passionate love. It's a committed love. It's a familial love. Okay? Now, the word that we find when you look at the Greek is the fact that Peter does not respond with agapas. He responds with a word that's filio. Filio means I love you as a close friend. I love you as my close friend or my kinsman. But the other one's asking me, do you love me intimately like family? The fourth thing we notice is the Lord's command. He says, feed my lambs, okay? Notice whose lambs they are, my lambs. This command is to fulfill the biblical role of a shepherd or a leader, okay? Now, what does that spiritual, or what does that shepherd do? He provides spiritual nourishment, right? He provides spiritual nourishment, protection and leading and direction for them to go in the way that God would have them to go. So this is a huge responsibility that, that God is trusting Peter to, and he's now holding him. Remember this, he said back, he says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. So the Lord has blessed him with this extraordinary ability of leadership. We find Peter again and again and again taking a leadership role. He's not, he's not, he is scared and fearful at times, but I'm telling you, when God comes in, when he really steps up in the book of Acts and we see him, man, he stands boldly for the Lord, boldly for the Lord. And we see here, it says, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's saying, take the abilities that I've blessed you with and use them for my glory, Peter. Don't allow what I've given you to be wasted. And I thought about this, you know, we're all given and gifted with abilities. I made a list of things, and I'm sure there's plenty that I didn't think of. But what about leadership? Some of us have natural leadership. You have the ability to lead others. Organization, playing an instrument, right? Teaching, singing caretaking. Maybe you're a prayer warrior, man. God's blessed you with that. Artistic ability, mechanical skills, counseling, technical ability. Maybe you're good with computers and stuff. When my phone starts doing weird stuff, I'm always like, honey, I just hand it to her. Man. I'm like, wiggle it, turn it on off. That's all I can do. And I'm like, I can't, I don't know what to do. So I just hand it to her. And luckily she has those abilities. Biblical discernment, construction, parenting, right? Maybe God's blessed you to be a parent. And you know what? There's some families that are learning how to grow, learn how to be parents and they need a little bit of help. They need a little bit of encouragement potentially. Because how many know that being a parent sometimes is tough? That's one of the most thank, thankless jobs in the world. But you know what? It's one of the greatest, it is truly one of the greatest blessings you can possibly, possibly experience. I have a friend of mine I grew up with and he's like, you know, we, we're never going to have kids. And I was like, dude, you don't understand what you're missing out on. You really don't. Especially the perspective that we understand God 
That's why I told, I told Tyler Whitney. I said, look, when you have a child, it's going to change your perspective because you've always been the child to the parent. And that's the, that's the way we look at God. It's always the child and the parent. But when you become a parent yourself, and all of a sudden you have this love for this other person, that you would do anything, anything for them. That's the love of God to us. And it gives you a perspective of who God is. It's beautiful, man. Absolutely beautiful. And there's, there's families that are struggling, and they need a little bit of help. Maybe it's mercy and compassion. You have the ability to love and care for people. Maybe you just have this special compassion that God's given you. Don't waste it. Don't sit back silent. Speak up and let God use you. Verse 16. He said to him again the second time, Summon, uh, Simon, 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 son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Again, he uses the word agapus. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He uses the word filio. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. Here we see the same phrase repeated. Understand that God always does everything for a purpose. And when he repeats things, what he's trying to do is he's trying to drill it into our heads. Sometimes we're blockheads and we don't hear things, so sometimes things have to come again and again. Peter has a little bit of a tough noggin. God repeats things for that specific purpose. Verse number 17. He said then to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? In this last time, he changes it. He no longer uses the word agapus. He uses the word phileus. And phileus is using that familial or that family or that friendship love. Peter was grieved because he saith unto him a third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. See, the change here, we see this intimacy. What he's trying, he's trying to, trying to draw Peter in and understand that there's, a, there's, there's restoration taking place. So we're watching it in Peter's life. In John 15, 15, Jesus said this to the disciples. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made, un, made known unto you. He's addressing him in this to restore Peter's brokenness. Peter has got self-doubt. Peter's got self-loathing. Peter's got failure in his past, and he's dealing with these issues. And the Lord is saying, you know what? Let me help you realize that, you know what? You are my friend, and I love you. Jesus does not chastise Peter for his failings. He reminds him of who it is he can become. He sees him for his future. And see, that's the beautiful thing is the fact that we know that this save, that our Savior here sees him as a leader in the church. And at this time, he's a leader of men leading them to go fishing, not doing the right things. And God says, it's okay, Peter. I'm not going to beat you down for your failure. I'm going to help you to recognize what it is I've called you to become. And I believe in you. And I've given you this leadership for ability. And one day you will stand as a leader. One day you will stand defiantly. One day you'll stand with confidence. One day you're going to stand and my love is going to pour out of you to thousands of people. And I'm going to use you to reach them and draw them to me. Peter, if you could only see who you will become. Where Peter had denied him three times, we see this now an opportunity for him to reaffirm himself to the Lord three times. He's sitting right in front of those men that he just led to do the wrong thing. And God says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. It's an opportunity to restore three broken promises. I love you. I love you. I love you. Restoring him. And then notice it always ends with a call to action. Then feed my sheep. Verse 18, verily, verily. Basically saying, Peter, this is important. Pay attention. I say unto thee, I say unto this, I say this to you, Peter. 
When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. When you were young and you were lost and you were your own man, guess what? You lived for you, Peter, and that's understandable. That's who you were. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands. Get an image here. Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. They're going to take you where you do not want to go. They're going to take you to a cross. Peter, one day, you're going to die for me. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus said this, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. This spake he, John makes this note in here, John says this, This spake he signifying by what death he, Peter, should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Follow me. That's a call to action. But guess what? We know that that's, there's a specific purpose why he uses that. Now, historical evidence points to the fact that Peter will stay faithful to the very end. And then he will die the very death that he denied Jesus. Right? Because when we stand in there in that courtyard in Caiaphas' house, and Jesus had been crucified or was going to be crucified, that was what he was afraid of. And that's what made him deny him. Yet the very death that he denied him for will be the death that he will die defiantly, faithfully. Peter would be crucified by Emperor Nero nearly 34 years in the future. There was an ancient priest by the name of Jerome who said this, Peter was crowned in martyrdom under Nero, being crucified with his head downwards and his feet upwards because he alleged himself to be unworthy of being crucified in the same manner as his Lord. The word follow me, right? Remember he finished that phrase, he said, follow me. In Matthew 4, 18 through 20, when Jesus meets Peter, this is what happens. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Is it possible when Jesus says, Follow me, that Peter flashes back to that moment and goes, Follow me. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be following, not what I want, but what he's called me to do. Follow me. Look at the way God is lovingly reminding him of who he is. He's revealing it to him so that Peter's recognizing it. Because the Lord knows so well who we are. Consider this as we look at this, this, this breakdown, right? Consider each element. The fishing all night and then catching nothing. That was a, something that they had already happened in Luke 5.5. 5, they fished all night and they caught nothing, right? Miraculous catch, which was Luke 5.6. That was something that took place in the past. It happened again in this instance. The name Jesus calls him is Simon. That from Matthew 16, we understand why that's relevant. The number of times he, he, he asked him the question, that's relevant. The relationship with Peter, do you love me? The call to action, feed my sheep. The previous commitment, follow me. All of these things are being built in this instance to show us and reveal to us what it is that God's doing. He's drawing him, right? There's a very specific method that he does it. It's not about calling out what's wrong and pointing out what he's done wrong, but he's showing him so that Peter can feel it internally. It's called conviction. How does God get a hold of our hearts? Conviction. When you go to your children, you say, say you're sorry. Do, 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 do. Say you're sorry. <laughs> sorry. Right? That's, he's never experienced that before. Right? <laughs> They'll say it, but it's begrudgingly. Right? 
what God's trying to do because that has no impact. When we get called out, our pride rises up and we go, I'm not going to say I'm sorry. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. I am not going to say I'm not sorry. I wish I'd done more, right? (laughs) But then when you go off by themselves, you go sit in a room and think about what you've done. (laughs) Sit, 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 and all of a sudden what comes? Conviction. Internally. Oh, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Da, 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 da. And then they come back. I'm sorry what I did. Right? That's what we see here. You know why God uses that, me- that method? Because it works. Because guess who created us? God did. He knows what works on us. And we can be con- reprimanded from the outside, but it's internal rep- rep- reprimands of ourselves is what changes our behavior. This method, teaching, this method of teaching reveals the long-suffering of God as well as his deep and, and intimate understanding of humanity. Verse number 20. Then Peter turning about, check this out. Then Peter turning about seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? So we know this to be John. Peter seeing him saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? He looks behind, okay? So he said, well, 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 what about John? I mean, you're calling me to the carpet, but I mean, he's, I'm supposed to do some stuff, but well, what about him? Is he supposed to do something? Okay, check this out. Watch Peter's, look at this response. All right, so I read this, you know, perhaps he feels uncomfortable and he just wants to be, doesn't want to be singled out. Maybe he's overwhelmed in the moment of hearing this mission that he's been given. Perhaps Peter's trying to shift some of the responsibility to John. Maybe he's just trying to change the subject and get off the hot seat, right? So many times we're just like Peter on the fact that we are uh, always looking for ways to sometimes deflect maybe what the responsibility has been placed upon us. Many times we want to go, well, you know, I know, I hear what you're saying, but uh, is there someone else involved? Is someone else going to do something as well? Because, I mean, uh, I'm kind of worried about me, but at the same time, I think it would be fair if they got involved, don't you? Right? Check this out. Watch out, Peter, what Jesus says to him. Verse number 22. Jesus saith to him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Like, Peter, what are you doing? Follow thou me. As if to say, Peter, worry about Peter. That's just like with your kids, especially if you've got more than one kid. You, that one gets, well, what about them? What about them? It's like, you worry about you. No, what about them? Worry about you, right? The statement to John is, and understand, this is theoretical. He says, it's if, if I will tarry that he will not, that, 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 that he tarry till I come. He says, look, look, even if Peter, look, if John never dies, if John lives forever, what does it matter, Peter? Because I'm not talking about this with you. And this, where he says, follow thou me, if you look at that word in the Greek, it's an emphatic. What it means is if you translate it directly, he'd say, you must follow me. You must follow. He's emphatically drawing him. He says, look, Peter, this is the key to you succeeding is the fact that you follow me. Verse 23. Then went the saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus saith not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? John includes this statement to clarify the fact that Jesus is not making a prophecy about John. Yes, John did live longer than many of the other disciples. Yes, he did survive until the Isle of, until the Isle of Patmos. God used him to write the book of Revelations. But John died, okay? So this here is yet another example. Uh, that, think about this. If we wonder, we wonder about ourselves and our weaknesses, if you want to understand that the disciples are human, well, guess what? Just from that little phrase, a rumor begins, and they start, rip, 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 rip. John's never going to die, John's never going to die, John. So they're all talking about this, and he's going, look, that's not what he said. 
They're just like us. Many times the enemy doesn't even have to make an effort to distract us from the work of God because we will do it ourselves. We get so worried about things that are not important. We get so focused upon the things that are not relevant to the calling that God's given us. And we look at what everyone else is doing. We're worried about the people behind us. We're worried about the people around us. We're worried about what, you know, what are people going to think. Who cares about all that stuff? Because bottom line is, what did he say? Follow thou me. Peter, do not worry about anything else. Worry about what I have called you to do. Make me your focus. Focus upon me. Verse number 24. This is the disciple which testified of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. John says, look, I'm telling you the absolute truth. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they would be, should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself, could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. He says, look, God is so great. God is so immense. The work that he does and the work that he's doing is so phenomenal that there's no way to contain it in a book or a number of books. And if you wrote it in every single book, you could fill the world with the books of how great God is. And we understand the fact that you and I are given an opportunity to have a relationship with a God who's so much greater than we are and so much outside of what it is that we are. And we look at him and we go, man, you know what? I want to understand God. There are aspects of him that we're never going to understand. That's what faith is, learning to trust means to put your faith in something and say, look, you know what? I don't have to have all the answers. We quote it all the time. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we live in a world of sight. We live in a world that's so much based upon what's around us. We're constantly, just like Peter, looking around us, looking behind him, worried about his past. And guess what? The devil will take your past and he will beat you senseless with it. He is merciless. And it's fuel. And the more we accept it, the greater impact it has. But what did Paul say? He said, These, this one thing I do, this one thing I do, the only way I can succeed is if I take my past and I put it behind me because I cannot change my past. If you know who Paul was, Paul was a killer of Christians. He was responsible for the death of hundreds and maybe thousands of people. Christians. He was a zealot of the zealots. And he stood as men murdered Stephen, who was an innocent man. And he cheered them on as he held their coats. And we look at the destruction that Paul's life consisted of in the past. And Paul said, look, I could live based upon the guilt of who I was. I could live, and man, I'm telling you, I can remember everything that I did. I can list all the things that happened. I can tell you the places where I was at, the pain that I experienced, the pain that I gave to other people, and the, the damage that I did in other people's lives. But this the one thing I do, leaving that past behind me and pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, since I can't change my past, instead of allowing the devil to beat me up with it, why don't I just leave it behind, turn my head forward, and live for him? And that's all that God's trying to reveal to Peter in this moment. What was the very last thing he said to him? Follow thou me. Throughout the study, we witnessed Peter go from one extreme to the other in his commitment to the Lord, from vowing allegiance to complete denial. And through it all, we've witnessed the love and the patience of God, right? Not frustration, not anger, not rebuke, but we see a, a kindness and a grace. And see, that's the God we serve. He's a God of love. 
People want to see God as a God of judgment. Yes, God, there is a judge, and God is a just God, but justice is, is something that, that allows us to have a culture and a society. We all want justice, but bottom line is we look in God, and what God does, God does perfect justice. We can know that whatever, if someone does a wrong to us, even if we may not see it righted on earth, they will one day face a righteous judge. And that's one thing we can hold on to. Many times we want vengeance, but the Bible goes clearly. He tells us again and again and again, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Our job is to love our enemies. An enemy is someone who stands in opposition to you. That can sometimes be your spouse, your kids, your family members, your friends, your coworkers. And we're to love them because guess what? Love is how we build bridges to people's hearts. Amen. If I'm to make a difference in someone's life, it won't be through anger. It won't be through judgment. It will be through love. Mm. And we live in a culture and a society that unfortunately, religiously speaking, has become extremely judgmental. Extremely judgmental. People walk into churches and they feel judged right away based upon the way they're dressed, based upon who they are, based upon what they look like. And that judgment is so wrong. We're not supposed to judge. That's not my place. My job is to love. God is the judge. And if we love them, guess what? We can help them to understand who Christ is. Because grace is shown through love. Love, the unlovable, loving someone who doesn't deserve it. That's what grace is. God displays mercy, but he displays grace. Grace, grace, grace. And that's something that the church has lost sight of. This should be of all places the one place you can come and experience grace. This should be the one place that you can be accepted. This is the one place that you can be loved. When you've been loved, nowhere else. The world will chew you up and it will spit you out and use you for what it can get out of you. But this is a place where we come to know who God is. And know that when he sees you in your broken state, when he sees you at your lowest point, when he sees you, when you're so down on yourself that you don't even want to live, and he says, oh, oh. If you could only see what I see. Beautiful. Glorious. I made you just the way I wanted you to be. And all the things that you think are wrong, oh my goodness, if you'll learn to embrace them, if you'll let me use your brokenness, oh my word, you won't believe what can happen. You won't believe what this life can become. That's the heart of God as he speaks to Peter. He's saying, Peter, if you only knew. I know today you feel like a failure. I know you're wet and you're tired and you went the wrong route and you recognize your problems, but I want you to know that I see more in you. Amen. Remember what Peter learned on the seas of Galilee when he said, Lord, beckon me to come to you. And he stepped out and Peter walked right on the water. The only person besides Jesus to ever walk on the water. Man, he had faith in that moment. He's walking like he's walking on the ground. And then the Bible says that he starts to look at the wind and the waves. He had his eyes on the Lord. When his eyes were on the Lord, he was following him. He's doing great. But as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, the Bible says instantly he sank. Fear took hold. His circumstances took hold. His life around him took hold. And he lost sight of following the master. And see, Jesus is trying to help Peter to recognize all he needs to know is where is the Lord. Just like the rest of us, Peter is broken on very many levels. 
self-doubt, failure, fear, bitterness, resentment, self-loathing, pain. The reason why the sign outside says this is a place of restoration is because guess what? Everybody is broken. How many here have been broken? Yeah, everybody. There's no one that isn't, man. And that's the thing that should give us some, some solace and some peace. Because we look at Facebook and we look at the world around us and we go, man, their life is perfect. They got everything going on. You know? And I mean, I gave the example before. We watch people, you know, their, their life's going terrible. Everything's going on, but it's like, Aah! right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or some people just, just the right angle. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, I got sick. I got to go through my selfies and see which one's the best one. All right. And where's the filter I can put on that? I'm going to filter that. My teeth are a little yellow. I want to channel them. Light those up, right? Oh, let me just, all right, that's good. Boom, right? Because what are we doing? We're trying to convince other people that we're not broken. We're living a lie. And guess what? The Lord looks straight through our lie into our heart. And he says, I know how broken you are. Help me. Let me restore you. And the things that you think are negatives can actually be positives. The marriage struggle that my wife and I struggled, that almost destroyed our marriage. It's one of the most wonderful tools God could have given us to minister to other people. When you're in it, you don't want it to be there. But you know what? It's a tool that God can use. He can take your downs and he can make them your ups because your life can then be used to minister to somebody else. You suffer loss. You suffer suffering. You go through sadness. You go through depression. Whatever it is. But if you simply, he says, follow thou me. Peter, follow thou me. If you'll do that, I can restore you, Peter. I can restore you, whoever you are. Remember, he says, who are you speaking to? Are you speaking to, to just us, or is this for everybody? It's for everybody. It's for everybody. Because God knows our lives. And the good news is, he loves us in spite of us. In spite of us, love, love, love. Restoring the broken is what God specializes in. That's the thing. We talk about miracles taking place. This place is a place of miracles. Amen. We've watched people walk through these doors that are shattered. And we've seen God bring them back together. And then the cool thing is, as they start to learn and they start to grow, their brokenness gets stronger and stronger, and then they become strong enough to start to help other people. And that's what this life is about. He's saying, follow thou me, Peter, because I know who you are. And as you follow me, guess what people will do? They will follow. You've got leadership in you, son. I need you to step up now. Put your heart on me. Put your eyes on me. Live for me, Peter. And if you'll do that, the church will culminate behind you. And I'll use your brokenness to restore others. Follow thou me. Notice the fact that he includes the word thou the last time. That means follow you. You follow me. He makes it personal. He says, Peter, you, you follow me. And that's what he leaves us. The book of John, all the way through, that's the very end. That's the last thing Jesus says. He leaves us in that book, as a, as a, as, and that's speaking to all of us. He's telling this whole world, follow thou me. How do you restore the broken? Follow thou me. Follow thou me. It's love, love, 
love from the beginning of John to the end of John. And it's all focused upon one thing. Follow thou me. God loves you exactly as you are. God wants to use you. God wants to change your life and take you out of the doldrums and maybe the sense that you're not of that great of worth and help you to realize that God sees you as a pearl of great price. And you may see no value in you and the world may not even see value in you, but yet God sees something beautiful and amazing that he created for his purpose. Embrace who you are in God's eyes. Don't worry what the world tells you. Worry what he says. Because the goal in the end, follow thou me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. Thank you, God, for your message, God. Thank you for the word of God, Lord, that is so rich and so beautiful. And you've spoken to me so clearly through the book of John. And Lord, I want to thank you today publicly, Lord, for what you've allowed me to witness and be a part of. God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you, Lord, for these people. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me, God, to minister to people. God, to let, let me do what my heart's desire. And Lord, the fact that you've called me to do this, Lord, I pray that you help me to find help to find me faithful to do it. Lord, help us each one be found faithful to do what you've called us to do. Lord, help us to show this world what it means to love. Help us show this world, God, what it means to care for them and who you are. Help our lives reflect the light and the love of God to this broken, broken people. They're all around us, Lord. They're in traffic around us every day. We meet them in stores. They check us out. They serve us food. We interact with them in, in social events. And Lord, they're all broken. And they just need to know you. Help us, God, to embrace what it is you've called us to be. And help us, Lord, not listen to the accuser. Help us not listen to, our, to the liar as, Lord, he looks, as we look in the mirror and as he accuses us and tells us we're not worthy. Because, God, you see us worthy. God, I praise you for what you are doing in this place. Thank you, Lord, for a place of restoration in the heart of Stallings. And I pray, God, that you'll help us to continue, Lord, to do the work that you've called us to do. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm one of those broken ones. I'm one of those ones that's shattered. And the problem is I'm broken, but you know what? I don't know how to be restored. You talk about following him, and I don't know what that means. Is it religion? Because I've got religion. Is it believing in God? Because I believe in God. But it's not about religion. It's not about just believing in God. Because the devil himself believes in God, but he's not going to heaven. He's not restored. God restores us through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a matter of faith. Faith means to put our whole heart and trust in Christ and who he is and what he can do, which is pay the price of the sins of the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're in this room, if you're online, wherever you are, if you have never received Christ, you've never fully given your heart to him, you've never made that choice, and said, you know what? I know that I'm the problem. I'm a sinner. And God, I know you can save me. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. 
And it's not a magic prayer. This is God's listening to your heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. This is a heart matter. And if in your heart you want to receive Christ as your Savior, if you believe in Him, you want Him to work in you and to restore you, you have that opportunity. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Again, it's not the words, because God's listening to your heart. Repeat after me, in your heart, in your mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. I know that it separated me from you, and I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, by faith, to come into my heart, to pay for my sins, to save my soul, and give me a home 